I was probably uh, two years into my first church, and we used to do this thing where, where uh, after the music and the singing, kind of like we do here, we would tell everybody uh, to greet one another, and we'd actually put a countdown on. We'd give them three minutes because I wanted them to really get out there and, and meet people, and this lady came walking up to me like in the first couple of minutes or, or during the greeting. And she said, hi, this is my first time here, and I want you to know I'm very offended. <laughs> and, I, and, and, of course, I was too young and green back then to avoid the obvious question, right? Like, oh, what's the matter? Like, I really cared. I mean, I really did. I really did. And, and so I did. I said, well, what's the problem? And she proceeded to tell me, well, it's my first time here. And, and then she asked me this question. She said, have you recently been in the women's bathroom? I said, well, I, I don't really make a practice of going in there, especially during Sunday. Uh, you know, I, I just don't. And then she began to lecture me. Now, mind you, the countdown's going, right? I'm getting ready to preach the mighty word of God, right? And this lady begins to lecture me on the medical and the scientific reasons why we shouldn't have toilet paper, extra toilet paper rolls stored on the bathroom floors in the women's bathroom. And she just went on and on. And I could feel the blood draining out of my face. My face was melting into my pockets. And then when she got done, she went and sat down. And I was left there ready to preach. Come on. How many know there's more important things to be offended by than toilet paper sitting? These days, we don't care where it's at as long as we have some. Am I right about it? Come on now. Oh, boy. And uh, you know what? We gave our definitions of being offended. Give me the first one here. She was in this category. Number one, she was irritated, right? She was annoyed. <laughs> well, I was annoyed too, to be honest with you. I was offended by her offense. To, offended means to irritate or to annoy. So she was in that category. She was in the category of being annoyed or angered or cause, maybe not quite this deep, cause resentful displeasure. I'm not really that interested in her level of offense. Those kind of levels of offense actually get me offended and a little irritated. But what do you do when the offense is a little deeper than that? What, what do you do when the offense is something that's totally unfair? Just a quick survey. Has anybody in the room had anything happen to you that's just been totally unfair. Come on. I think everybody has to raise their hand on that. And now your offense is not just being irritated or annoyed, but it's number two. It's now it moves to I've been violated or I've been transgressed against. Or, or maybe when it's so unfair, it goes even a little bit deeper. And now it's to hurt or to cause pain. You know, life is unfair. How many have ever heard that? How many growing up, your parents ever just said to you, you better learn to live with it because life is unfair, right? Life, and it's true because life is both a blessing, but how many also know life is also a battle, right? Life is both. It's a blessing and it's a battle and it's not always fair. I was looking for some things. I found this. I, I liked it because this reminds me of childhood. Dear life, I have a complete grasp on the fact that you are not fair, so please stop teaching me that lesson. How many can agree with the guy right there, right? 
I don't know if I have any fight fans in the room. Any fight fans in the room? All right. I always ask that question, and I just can't get you guys converted over. Anyway, um, I love MMA. It's something my son and I, we love to watch together. And, and some say, oh, well, how could you watch all that violence? Well, here's one of the things I love about it. When the two fighters are getting ready to fight, they come to the center ring. The ref introduces them. The ref, the ref says, you know the rules. And then he says this. He says this right before the bell rings. He says, so I want a fair fight. Wouldn't it be nice if life would fight fair? Sometimes I would rather get in the ring and duke it out with somebody knowing that there are ground rules, there are certain things you can and can't do, and if you do them, you're disqualified. But how many know in life you don't get a fair fight all the time? There are people that will fight you and hurt you. And some of the things that we get into in life, come on, we have to agree, some of the pain we get in is our own fault, right everybody? Come on, I'll get you moving one way or another. And, 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 and it creates pain. It's our own fault. It's our own mistakes. But some of the pain that we experience is just simply unfair. Somebody, somebody transgressed against me. We used the definition last week. Somebody struck against me. Somebody didn't fight fair. It was unfair. I, did, I didn't choose this to happen. Some of us grew up in homes, and when, when you're little, you don't have the ability, you don't have the power of choice like you do as you get older. And, and, the, and I think sometimes that the reason we hold offenses and, and, and the reason we still have unfair forgiveness in our heart is because nobody has ever acknowledged that what happened to you is simply not fair. Nobody talked you through it. Nobody mentored you through it. Nobody pastored you through it. Nobody parented you through it. Nobody helped navigate you through the unfair things, through the accidents and the incidents of life. But the years keep stacking up and the, and, and the birthdays keep happening. You've never resolved those issues, but they're still there. And no one has ever acknowledged that what happened to you just simply was not fair. Come on, am I talking? to anybody at all it just wasn't fair and, and those offenses they they kind of sit uh, like in, in in a corner of our heart they're, they're kind of like just shadows and every once in a while those old things come out and we might not even recognize where they come from come on let me ask you I'm going to get you to raise your hand one way or another how many has ever responded to something in a way and after you got done responding, you said, where did that come from? Come on now. <laughs> and I don't mean, oh, Jesus loves you. I don't mean that kind of, where did that come from? I mean the kind of, I was singing worship music and I love Jesus. Where did that come from? Where did that response come from? Uh, I learned this lesson about things that are unfair uh, in 2011, I decided I wanted to go to some counseling because I just had some unresolved, uh, I'll just call them yuckies in my life. I asked my wife to go with me, and I don't remember what visit we were on, but um, I began to uncover some things, and for the first time in my life, talk about some things that I had never talked about. They were things, uh, instead of you trying to read into them, they were just simply things that were unfair. They just weren't right. 
but I had never, I, I never had nobody that I could talk to, that I could trust with the valuable, hurtful, painful information. We got done with that counseling session and went out into my car and, and Patty was with me and I sat there and I began to dive into a story that had been hidden in my life for over 40 years. Unresolved hurt. Unre How many know anger comes from unresolved hurt? Mm -hmm. Unresolved things. And, and one of the most transformational things happened in my life on that day. And, and, and as I told her the story, as I trusted her with my offense, with my transgressions, with the violation, as I trusted her with some hurt, I'll never forget she grabbed my hand. And first of all, she said, honey, I want you to know I am so sorry that you had to live through those situations. And then she said something that I don't know why, but it really began the healing process in my life. And she said, I am so sorry because what happened to you is so unfair. It began to validate me and, and somehow it just began to release that, okay, there it is. The unfair, someone's recognizing it. And now here I am all these years later preaching to you and preaching to you that might have hopped online or just accidentally come across this message. And I want to say to you that in this series on offense, one of the biggest things I can tell you is you're going to have to learn how to forgive the unfair in your life. Because anybody can forgive the things that make logic. Anybody can at least make an attempt to get over the things that just, well, they didn't know better. But what do you do with the things that they did know better? What do you do with the things when they were supposed to be the adult? They were supposed to be responsible. My best friend did this. My boss did this. My church did this. And, and somewhere in life, we're going to have to be willing to take the unfair things and give them to God. Come on, right, everybody? And it's hard to forgive those unfair things. It's hard to forgive that I, I had unfair disadvantages. I, it was unfair my spouse cheated on me. It was unfair my childhood was uh, abusive. It was unfair that, that my parents were absent. It's unfair, right? There is unfair all over. And if we can't forgive unfair, watch this, it creates in us a victim mindset. It just seems to me like we have more competition anymore. Who can be the biggest victim? It's like, oh, you'll never, you'll never know, and, and, the, and you can't believe what happened to me. Oh, yeah, that's what happened to you. Let me tell you why I'm an idiot. This is what happened to me. Let me tell you why I can't be nice to anybody. Here's what happened to me. Oh, yeah, let me tell you why I'm a drug addict. Look what happened to me. Oh, yeah, let me tell you why I don't trust any men. Look what happened to me. And it just seems like there's this competition. And if we can't forgive unfair, it begins to grow roots of a victim mindset in us. And God didn't create us to be victims, everybody. Come on. He created us to be victorious. And, and, and what happens is when you begin to view yourself as a victim, it promotes a sense of powerlessness. You're not powerless. 
Come on, everybody. I can do all things. He's put in me all the powers over all the powers of darkness. And it's time for Christians to quit having a victim mindset that we're powerless. You are not powerless. You are created to be the head and not the tail. Let me say it another way. Where you're at is not where you have to stay. Can I get an amen on that? I thought, who, who, who could I bring out of scriptures to be our witness today? And I thought, if there's anybody that was treated unfair. Now, there's a whole lot of unfairness happening in the Bible heroes and the characters of the Bible. But I'll tell you one that stands out to me is a guy by the name of Joseph. Anybody ever heard of him? You talk about a guy that dealt with and lives through some unfair things. If you don't know the story of Joseph, let me just fill you in, then I'll give you a few scripture references, and then you can read about him on your own. But Joseph, um, well, it, it seemed like he would have this charmed great life because the Bible says that he was his father's favorite. His father loved him so much he bought him or made him a Gucci coat that the rest of the boys didn't get, right? I mean, like he had this cool jacket that nobody else had, and then Joseph would brag about how great he was going to be and these dreams and visions he had, and that didn't go too good with his brothers. Let's check it out. In the book of Genesis, chapter number 37, we're, his, his story covers multiple chapters, so I'm just going to uh, spit a few out at you. Now, Israel, who is Jacob, by the way, Jacob or Israel is Joseph's father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. <laughs> Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. I'm going to stop right there. Now, I'll paraphrase, but his dream was that, that, that there was sheaves of grain, and, and, and all of their sheaves of grain got up and bowed down to his sheaves of grain. Uh, now, Joseph had a lot of good things going for him, uh, but his ego probably got in his way a little bit. Come on, he needed to hear the song by the St. Kenny Rogers. you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just can't throw out everything. Everybody's not ready for your vision and your dreams. And then they hated him for that. And he didn't learn his lesson the first time, so there was another dream. And it was about moon and stars. And all his brothers, moon and stars, were bowing down to him. And they decided, okay, we've had enough of Joseph. We're going to kill him. That's a big leap, isn't it? I mean, that's, a, that, that's like a big, okay, we're mad at you, brother. Let's kill him, right? I mean, that's a big leap. It, it feels like that's where we're at today. People are making big leaps really fast. And so the story is they decided they would throw him down this cistern. They threw him down in there, but there was no water in it, so he didn't die. And about that time, they seen some Egyptians coming, some slave traders. And one of the brothers, I think it was Levi, had this great idea. Hey, let's make some money out of this deal. Let's sell our brother, and we'll pocket some money. He'll be in Egypt as a slave. We'll go home and tell Daddy that he died, and we'll live happily ever after. And you think you got a jacked up family, right? <laughs> I mean, talk about unfair. This is some unfair stuff. This is his family, and this is unfair. 
And Joseph's life, we're going to walk through it. And Joseph could have made the same decisions that you and I are faced with when life is unfair. And Joseph could have sat in one of these four chairs. And it's the four chairs I want to talk to you about tonight. First of all, Joseph could have sat in the chair of betrayal. He's betrayed. Not just betrayed. I want you to know something about being betrayed. I can't really be betrayed by a stranger. There has to be some level of confidence. There has to be some level of trust. There has to be some level of vulnerability. There has to be some level of relationship for me to even be betrayed. Because I trust you with my secret. I trust you with my hurt. Hmm. Remember this. Remember the definition that we just gave you. Remember, offense means to violate. Joseph was violated. His trust was violated. His trust was struck against. And betrayal to me is the ultimate violation because it comes from somebody that you love. It comes from somebody that you trust. It comes from somebody that's in your circle. Oh, my. You, you had to have confidence in somebody for them to violate your confidence. Have you ever... Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Have you ever been violated? Have you ever been betrayed by someone you trusted? That's a hard seat to get out of. It's hard to trust again when my trust was shattered. It's hard to love again. It's hard to, come on, you fill in the blanks. I got people all the time that I bump into, oh, I'll never go to church because the last church I went to, and all they do is tell me a story of betrayal. And I'll never love another man. I'll never love another woman. I'll never because of... And they're seated in the seat. It started, they walked through the door of the offense, but now they're seated in the seat of betrayal. And watch this. Betrayal begins to erode our trust. Because of what one person did to us, now I can't trust what the next person God might have in my life. And I wonder how many blessings I'm missing out on that God is bringing into my life through a friendship. Come on, through a partnership. But I can't trust Him because of what He did. I can't trust her. And God wants your dream to live again, but your dream was shattered by somebody who betrayed you, and now you can't trust anybody. Mm. In other words, you're using the yardstick of the past to try to measure your future. Mm. I've been betrayed, and my trust is, oh, 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 I left the blocks on here from last week. Uh, I, I, I've been betrayed, and, and remember, Daddy wasn't there, so I already am missing the block of safety. Uh, sorry, you're going to have to watch last week's. What do you do? When the lack of safety is your footstool, I hope the bottom of my shoes are halfway clean. What do you do when you already had a foundational block of safety, of security, of being soothed, of being seen? What do you do when, when, when you're already missing that and now you've been betrayed? I've recently told some stories about my dad. I'll give you the fast version of this. My dad was betrayed by probably one of the the most ultimate betrayals there is by his own mother. 
in multiple situations, that some of which are so horrific I would not repeat. But one day, he, one night in the middle of the night, he woke up to sirens and police cars in his home. He had gone to sleep to the sounds of partying by his mother and a stepfather. My, my dad only had one full-blooded biological sibling, and it was a younger brother. That night, the police were there because they had been called because his younger brother had died. He woke up to find the police there carrying out his little brother that he loved dearly. They still to this day don't know what happened, but the mom, to keep from going to jail, blamed my dad that they were wrestling on the top bunk and fell off, and the little brother died. That is betrayal. I inherited a father who could not trust anybody. He had a hard, and when you don't trust, you have a hard time receiving love, and you have a hard time giving love. Come on, are you hearing that? I know that's tough, but some of us are dealing with real-life issues just like that. Uh, uh, We grew up without foundational blocks. I wasn't safe as it started. And now you want to go and betray me, and my trust is eroded. And as my trust is eroded, I don't love you, and I don't receive love from you. Mm. And and, and can I tell you, once you get in this seat, it can get kind of cozy. Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold on. Get, get your phones ready. Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. What, what? Oh, yeah. It can get cozy. Yeah. Come on now. Let's get comfortable all up in this betrayal. Ooh, I could sit here a long time. Yeah, boy. Just, I've been betrayed. I don't trust you. I don't want you to love me. I'm not going to love, and the longer I sit here, the cozier it gets. I need a Snuggie. I need, that's what, I need one of them big old Snuggie things. And, and the longer you sit in betrayal, oh, it's hard, because now i got to use muscles ooh, that I haven't used in a long time. Come on now. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Okay, let's get back to Joseph. Joseph, now, let's fast forward into his story because he could have sat in that chair, but he rose up. Joseph rises up, and he rises up in the ranks, and and now he's serving in Potiphar's house. Now, Potiphar was one of the top officials for the Pharaoh, and, and Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his house. So Joseph was in charge of all the other servants in the house, the cooks, the maids, the whatever there is in that time. So he's in charge of it. And the Bible says this. If you read the story, the Bible says this about Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph was handsome and he was well built. Come on now. And there was a Mrs. Potiphar in the house. Anybody know this story? And she was the ultimate cougar, all right? She is putting a cougar move on handsome, well built, younger man, Joseph. And I'll kind of keep any of my other thoughts to myself on that. And Joseph, because he refuse to sit in the chair of betrayal. See, when you start sitting in that chair, you'll make other wrong decisions. Because what's the use? I'm already betrayed, so what's the use? But no, Joseph refused to sit in that chair. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 39. 
One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and, and none of the household servants were inside. And so she, Mrs. Potiphar slash cougar woman, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Don't you love how clean the Bible is trying to be? Read it in the message. It'll liven things up a little bit. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this, I love this. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Liar, liar, pants on fire. So, so Joseph, watch, he, he could have sat in the chair of betrayal, but now he's at a place where he's being blamed. Mm. And they're accusing him. Has anybody here ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Ooh, come on, that's a comfortable chair too. I'm, I'm being blamed. I'm being falsely accused. People are talking about me. People are th saying things. Let me ask you a question. Let me see the hand. Has anybody here ever been lied about? It's one thing to be lied about. It's another thing for people to believe the lies that are being told. Uh-oh. See, they believed her lie. Now he's back in prison. Don't let someone else's lie imprison you is what I want to say. It's one thing to be lied about. It's another thing for people to believe the lies. And, and, and if you, watch this, if you sit in this chair too long, if you sit in, I've been blamed, I've been accused, come on. If you sit in this chair too long, you, you will be the one that is now blaming everybody else. Mm. It, it, see, you will become what you've been called. And now you will do what's been done to you. I got blamed, and so I don't get blamed again. I'm going to be quick to blame others. Uh, the, uh, somebody blame me, and before the next person can blame me, I'm going to start pointing my finger at you and blaming you and accusing you and lying about you and gossiping about you and putting Facebook quotes about you. Come on now, right? Before you can point at me, I'm going to point at you, and you become watch this, you become what you're seated in. Mm, blame. You know what happens when you start blaming? You never take personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm where I'm at in my life because, you know, it's my parents' fault. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't seen enough as a child. That's what the pastor said. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get soothed enough when I was a child, so I'm going to get really comfy here. It's not my fault. Oh, it's that president's fault. Ooh, I've seen a lot of that. Oh, 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 it's not my fault. It's my boss's fault. It's not my fault. Come on, can you guys keep going with me on this? It's the white man's fault. Oh, it's not my fault. It's the black man's fault. Oh, it's not. And you can put any shade in there that you want to. It's not my fault. It's the Democrats. It's not my fault. It's the Republicans. It's not my fault. 
It's my teachers. It's not my fault. Oh, you know what it is? It's my pastor. If my church would straighten up. And each time we blame others, watch this. Every time I point at somebody else, every time I blame somebody else, I diminish the power that God has put in me to become all that He has called me to be. And I increase the feelings of being a victim. Sitting in the blame chair. Increasing our feelings of powerlessness. Increasing our feelings of helplessness. Increasing our feelings of pessimism. Increasing our feelings. Come on, you are not helpless. You are not powerless. God gave us the power to make decisions to get up. Watch this. And, and do you know, oh, you know, this will be fun right now, and I won't do it. I won't mess with you like this, Jake. I know you're trying to film. But you know what? I could get some people up here to sit with me in this chair right now. Woo, come on. I'm going to blame. Oh, I bet I could get some people to blame the same person. Huh? I bet you I can get some people up here to help me blame the president. Well, wait, which one? I, I bet I can get some people up here to blame and I bet I can get a whole bunch of people in my chair all sitting, all cuddled, because you can get somebody on your side. You can get somebody to identify with your victim mentality with you. And I, and, In fact, let's not all just sit in a chair together. Let's start a Facebook group on who we blame. Huh? All right. So Joseph, we got to keep on moving with Joseph. So Joseph now, he's in prison. You guys know the story? He's in prison because of cougar lady. And so he's in prison, and, and he thinks he's forgotten about, but he's in prison with a cupbearer and a baker. And they have dreams, and Joseph can interpret dreams. And so he interprets both of their dreams. And, and, and so he says to the cupbearer, hey, in three days, Pharaoh's going to come get you, reinstate you, bring you back into the palace. Everything's going to be cool. Yay! Baker says, what about me? I had a dream too. Not so good for you. In three days, you're going to be dead. Oh, bummer. I wish I would have went first. You know? Okay. And, and, and so the three, those things happened. The baker was dead. The cupbearer was reinstated. And all Joseph said was, look, when you get back to the palace, would you please put in a good word for me because I'm just a Hebrew and I shouldn't be here. Let me show it to you in the Bible so you know it's true. But when all goes well, is that where I'm at, Genesis? But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. He's talking to the cupbearer. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to, to deserve being in this dungeon. Look at verse number 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Mm, 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 mm. Have you ever been forgotten? Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever done something good for somebody, but you wonder where they are? When you need somebody to do something good for you. So Joseph could have graduated over here to the next chair, and it's the chair of being bypassed. Ooh, just being bypassed. I'm doing everything right, and God just isn't showing up. I, I, I just feel bypassed. I feel, like, I feel like God has forgotten all about me. Mm -hmm. Where, where's, where's my blocks? Uh, let me bring him back over here. And, and now, I, I, I wasn't seen as a child. <laughs> and now, even God's overlooking me. And I keep on doing the right things. And those people forget me when I need somebody. 
and I've been bypassed. Mm. And I'm overlooked. I was overlooked at home. Now I'm overlooked in life. I'm overlooked for the promotion. I'm a good person, and I'm overlooked. And my motivation, watch this, my motivation is no longer purpose. My, My motivation is no longer purpose. I don't have any purpose. So my motivation is not purpose. My motivation is pain. And so it's only pain. It's only my victimness. It's only, that's what motivates me. And if you sit here long enough, if you sit in the, I've been bypassed, I've lost my purpose, I've lost my identity, and I get comfortable in this, and if I sit here too long, guess what happens? I will begin to self-sabotage. Because I'm used to being, I'm used to getting comfortable in being bypassed. And so just about the moment life starts going good, I will self-sabotage because I'm used to the good things bypassing. I'm used to love bypassing. I'm used to good relationships bypassing. I'm used to God bypassing. Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? And so about the time, I will begin to self-sabotage because I have been accustomed to, I have trusted train myself to be bypassed. Uh, And now I'm just going to avoid being noticed. I don't even want to be noticed. What's the use anyway? I I will just sit here in this comfortable chair, unnoticed, undervalued, underperforming, because I'm just going to get bypassed anyway. Can I say those again? Unnoticed. Mm. Undervalued. And underperforming. I'm a music fan, so I had to steal a quote from Bob Dylan on this one. Can I get my Bob Dylan quote? Being noticed can be a burden. Jesus got himself crucified because he got himself noticed. So I disappear a lot. And we laugh at it. But there's people I know that have purposely disappeared. Because you've been wounded by being bypassed, by being overlooked. Can I tell you a story while I'm in my chair? Hold on real quick. Just hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Hold, hold on. Oh, I wish I would have brought a pacifier with me tonight. Oh. So, so I already had some foundational blocks missing in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now, Joseph, I've been betrayed. Mm-hmm. I've been blamed. And now I've been bypassed. And you want me to forgive unfair? Oh, no. <laughs> the moment I see them brothers again, the moment I see Miss Cougar Lady again, the moment I see that cupbearer again, I... Um, I was, in 2005, I was considering resigning my church. We had just finished a $10 million building program, and it wore me out. And I had hired a guy to run the building program that actually was my very first pastor that I worked for. And he ran it. He ran the building program. We finished the building program. In the midst of that, between 2005 and 2000, 
mid-2006, so for 18 months, it was all kind of stuff. One of my executive pastors had a moral failure and had an affair with a lady in the church. And it was the weirdest thing because people didn't get mad at him. People started getting mad at me. Rumors started that I worked my staff too hard, that I wasn't sensitive, that I wasn't watching out for. I began to be blamed. Now, I tell you that story because two years after our building program ended, I resigned that church. And I was actually on my way to move to Washington. Um, We went to Florida, my family and I, we were on a long overdue vacation there on the first day and my phone rang and the phone call was from the superintendent of the denomination that I was in at the time he said Ken I hate to bother you I know you've just left the church had just sent me off we resigned it was great it was a party it was a celebration it was a trip down memory lane they cheered they standing ovations tears hugs it was the most glorious send-off a guy could ever ask for videos, pictures, memories, stories. I get a phone call and the superintendent asked me if I'd come back to the church for a church business meeting because there was some money missing to the tune of $750,000 and they wanted to know where it was. Well, The guy that I had hired to run the building program used to work for them, the the superintendent. And the superintendent recommended that I hired him. Now, this guy didn't put the money in his pocket, but he got behind paying the vendors and didn't want anybody to know. And it later came out that he had kept two sets of books, a set of reports that he gave to the board so that it looked like he did his job well, and a set of books that he thought, I'll hurry up and get caught up, and nobody will ever know the difference. The problem is, now I went back. This guy was my first pastor. This guy and his family were the ones that if something happened to Patty and I too, it was in our will that our kids would go live with them. I loved this guy. While he was robbing Peter to pay Paul, he was taken out of my retirement fund to pay some of the bills. I sat in that chair over there for more than a day. I sat in that chair over there for more than a week. I'm embarrassed to tell you how comfortable I got in the chair of betrayal. And I was mad. But I couldn't find him because he left the country. And and then when I went back to the business meeting, I stood up in front of a congregation of thousands of people who had just sent me off cheering. Now they were standing asking me questions and blaming me. Hmm. Oh, remember that executive pastor that had the affair? Well, in 2006, I went and interviewed at a church because I knew my time was up in my wife's hometown. One of the biggest churches in America in our denomination. They had just finished a 5,000 seat auditorium. They owned seven indoor soccer arenas. All on one giant city block. 
And I was the number one candidate. But the stories got out that I was at fault for the guy that had the moral failure. And so now I got bypassed. It's hard to get out of these chairs once you get them. It's hard to get out of betrayal. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? I'm sorry to use me as the guinea pig, but it's a lot easier than... And, and it's, it's easier telling stories that happened years ago than the one I could tell you that just happened a month ago. Hello, somebody. Yeah, it's... It, ooh, once you get betrayed, and once you get blamed, and now you get bypassed, let me tell you, this can become a very comfortable chair. And God has so much more for you to do. And He might have brought you here and you might be tuned in right now because God desperately wants you and only you can do it is to get out of that chair because there's more for you. Mm. Now, here's the rest of Joseph's story. We'll get back to Joseph. There's a famine in the land. Everybody know this? There's a famine. And guess what? The famine is hitting his brothers. Remember the guys that sold him? Yeah, and, and so they come back to Egypt because God had told Joseph there was going to be a famine. Seven years of good, seven years of bad, seven years of good. He stored up. He was ready for the famine, and, and the famine came. His brothers are now starving. His brothers come before him. They don't recognize him. They're bowed before him, and you know what? He could have got revenge, and if he would have, he would have moved over into this chair. But he refused to allow his heart to get bitter. Mm -hmm. Can you keep your heart from being bitter when you've been offended? Can you keep your heart from being bitter when you've been betrayed? And you've been blamed? And you've been bypassed? Can I tell you why I can preach this message? Because I almost didn't. You've heard me talk about when I almost left ministry. I almost left ministry because I got comfortable sitting in these chairs. I got comfortable pointing at, well, my best friend betrayed me. And my church blamed me. And my denomination bypassed me. And now I'm bitter. And you know what? The reason I resigned in 2011 is because my heart was still bitter. And you can't pastor people, and you can't lead people, and you can't love people, and you can't believe the best for people when your heart is bitter. Now, you might be thinking this is all about me, but you can't love your spouse when your heart is bitter. You can't raise godly kids when your heart is bitter. You can't serve on your job when your heart is bitter. You can't worship God the way you should when your heart is... Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying here today? Mm. What is sat in the chair of bitterness? And, and, and how do I know if my heart's bitter? Here's how you know. Oh, when you're still plotting against that guy over there, ah, I laid in bed at night thinking, oh, ho, ho, you, I'm going to sneak up on you. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me bring my identity. When I'm, when I'm bitter, I can't have any identity because I'm too consumed with getting revenge on you than I am with my identity and my purpose. Yeah? 
When I'm still, come on, I know none of you do this. Just let me counsel myself here. When you're laying in bed at night thinking of all the things you could do to the person that betrayed you and the people that blamed you and the people that overlooked and bypassed you, when you're still thinking about how to get them back, you're bitter. You're you're not just offended. You're living in offense because of what somebody did. And bitter roots are growing. And, And here's the test. Here's the test. Ken, is my heart bitter? Here's the test. Can God trust you with your offender? Let me put you in a room for five minutes with no video cameras for five minutes with your offender. Can God put you in a room with your offender? If I wouldn't have gone through some of the counseling and through some of the purging and through some of the things I had to go through, the answer for me, I'm embarrassed to tell you, the answer would have been no. God could not put me in the room with those people that pointed at me and betrayed me and bypassed me. He could not have put me in the room because I grew up a certain way and I was resorting back to the way I used to do things. Hello, somebody. But God had plans for my life, but he gave me the choice. Am I going to live in offense? Am I going to live in violation? Am I going to live in it? Or am I going to declare that there is still a purpose and there is still identity for me and i got to get out of these chairs? Do you know how easy it is to sit in one of these chairs? When you get in these chairs, come on, a body in motion stays in motion. A body at rest, come on, it stays at rest. Woo, come on. I know that's true because just about the time I sit down and get comfortable, that's when Patty asked me to take out the garbage and I don't want to do it. Come on, everybody. If you refuse, here's where I want to close tonight. But if you'll refuse, if you'll refuse, I know you've been betrayed. I've been betrayed. There's not a person breathing this air in this room that hasn't been betrayed on some level. And I know you've been blamed. And I know you've been gossiped about. And I know you've been lied about. Guess what? Jesus was too. And I know you've been bypassed. And I know you think I should be a lot farther along in life by now. And if they wouldn't have done this, I'd be further. And if mama would have this, and if daddy would have this, and if the church wouldn't have this, I'd be farther. I wouldn't have been bypassed. And if you refuse to sit in any one of these chairs, here's the good thing. I got a fifth B, but I don't have a fifth chair. Because you don't need to get comfortable in any of these. If you'll stand, and if you refuse to sit in the chair of betrayal, if you refuse to sit in the chair of blame, if you refuse to sit in the chair of, oh, I've been bypassed, if you refuse to sit in the chair of bitterness, then God has you, and you can stand in blessing. How can I say that? Watch this. How can I say that? Next week, you got this message only makes half sense until you get next week's. Because Jesus said, Blessed is the man who is not offended. And that means if I'm gonna be blessed, if I'm gonna watch this, if I'm gonna stand in blessing, I can't sit in betrayal. If I'm gonna stand in blessing, I can't sit in blame. If I'm going to stand in God's blessing, I can't sit in bitterness. Come on, somebody. I'm doing the best I can here. And God wants to bless you. But can you stand to be blessed? I'm going to have to exercise some muscles. 
I'm going to have to exercise some things I haven't used in a long time. Oh, there goes that forgiveness muscle. (laughs) Oh, boy, that grace muscle just doesn't want to kick in. That mercy and grace, whew. That, that whole do unto others movement. God wants to bless you. Can you stand to be blessed? I close with this scripture. Put it on there for me. See to it that no one falls short of grace. No one. That includes all of us. That includes me when I'm in the room with my betrayer. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. God has blessings for you. But you got to get up out of those chairs. Amen, everybody? Will you receive that tonight? I'm all done with that.